We've all heard that money can't buy happiness. <laughs> but chocolate can't. We've all heard money can't buy happiness, but would you find it interesting to know that research is beginning to prove the opposite, that money can buy happiness? Interesting fact that money's able to buy happiness when we give it to others. There's a Harvard Business School had done some research and a study, and uh, Professor Michael Norton, he interviewed 600 Americans in the study that he was doing, and as he, he did this study, he, he wanted to learn about their income. He wanted to learn about just the levels of income. He wanted to learn about the spending habits of these individuals, and he wanted to learn how happy they were. And so what they found was, was pretty amazing. They found that regardless of how much money these people made, if they chose to give it away rather than spend it on themselves, they were distinctly happier. So it's interesting to think that somebody who makes, you know, twenty or $30,000 a year but chooses to give part of it away to others has the ability to be happier than somebody that makes two or three or even four times that much that chooses to hold on to that money for themselves. It turns out that being selfless actually is more beneficial to yourself than you would think. And it turns out that God knew this before Professor Michael Norton did. Because if you look at scripture, Jesus says that. And Luke refers to in Acts chapter 20, he says, And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. What a simple thing to say though, right? It's more blessed to give than to receive. But man, living it out. That's a whole different story, right? It can be so much more challenging. It can be hard to believe in and practice because receiving things, it makes us feel good. And there are times, don't get me wrong, there are times when we need to receive. We need to, to receive from other people and, and that can make us feel pretty blessed as well. But even so, having the mindset to give even a little, even the little that you're able to will make you happier that's an important thing to remember. So that's why I titled the message today, The Gift of Giving. The Gift of Giving. Now I realize that uh, it, it can be hard to think about giving away your hard-earned money, the things that you've worked really hard for. It goes against our instincts, right? We're not wired to just give it all away. That's not how we're wired. But but in those moments where we feel like we might be moving backwards by giving it away, it's good for us to remember that what we've been given, what we have, isn't really ours to begin with. We talked about this in week one of the series, that everything we have has been given to us by God. And, and when we hold on to it, it just gives us this, this idea that our wealth and possessions have power over us when they don't have power over us. Now, we're in a series called Make Space. Uh, it's a series I found in one of my resources that I thought was fantastic and uh, brought it in for our, our church. But this series is all about making space in our finances so that they don't restrict our ability to live the lives that God wants us to live. In week one of the series, we talked about how important it is to acknowledge that everything that we have belongs to God. And we're just supposed to be managers of the things that God has given to us. We talked about some of the, the things that make managing our finances a challenge for us. 
you know, things that the fear of failure or the risk of not having enough or the fact that we live in a society that doesn't help us with this mindset. In week two, we talked about the importance of not letting our money or our possessions control us. We talked about our money really actually being a means to an, not being a means to an end. We talked about some of the specific ways that we can remove temptation of the temptation of using money to fill holes, to fill voids in our life, and in the process, overspending and undersaving. And then last week, Pastor Dave, he talked about building wealth like Noah. He pulled out three pieces from the story of Noah that happened, that helps us, and he said, first, you got to make a plan. It, call it a budget. Some people don't like the word budget, so call it a spending plan. Make a plan for where your finances are going to go. And then he said, you got to save for tomorrow. Save for tomorrow. And then he said, we got to give to God. He said this last week. He said, seeking God's will in our lives is a demonstration of our faith that we believe that God is who he says he is. When we trust God in the area of our finances, we're believing that God is who he says he is, that he is the provider for us. And the benefit of taking all of these messages to heart and making financial space in our lives is that we're able to prioritize the things that really matter to us. Things like our family, our relationships, and most importantly, the things that God is calling us to do. And so today we're, make, we're wrapping up this series called Make Space, and we're going to be exploring one of the things that the Bible makes pretty clear for us that, and what God wants us to do with our finances, and that is giving. God wants us to be generous. We're going to look at generosity in a more generalized term today and, and how all the things that we've learned over the last couple of weeks are going to allow us to be able to be a blessing to other people in new and in meaningful ways. Now, most of us are where we are in life because of someone's generosity with us. Whether it was time, whether it was money, whether it was someone hiring you. I mean, I'm here today because Pastor Tom, our founding pastor at this church, saw something in a 22-year-old kid and said, I believe in you. I believe that God has a calling on your life, so why don't you step into ministry? Right? I was 22. I didn't deserve it, but he saw something in me, and now that, that generosity that he showed in a different way changed the course of my life. And so maybe for you, it, was someone, it wasn't somebody lending you money, but maybe it was someone that was offering you a, a place to stay. Maybe it was someone offering to help with homework or some free babysitting. I don't know what that thing was for you, but those things, those moments of generosity, the, the person that was doing the generous act, it probably didn't cost them anything. And yet, where we were when that act of generosity happened, it was a life changer for us. It changed our course. We have to, to have a better grip on both mentally and physically on our finances. And when we do that, we can start to move more and more and more into the uh, lifestyle of generosity. And what's amazing, what's amazing is that that gift is for the giver, right? To be able to change someone else's life if you are a generous person. Uh, living a life of generosity, it actually means that we are going to end up richer ourselves. There are three big benefits uh, of living a lifestyle of generosity, and the first is it transforms and grows me. A lifestyle of generosity, it transforms and it grows me. 
at its core, giving and being generous isn't really about what's being given, right? Generosity at its core is about the heart. And God is wildly, incredibly interested in your heart. God cares about your heart. In fact, God always has your heart in mind with everything that he does in your life because your heart, it shows the real you. Your heart shows the real you. And God, he's got a a wild goal for you and for your heart. You know what that goal is? It's found in Ephesians chapter 5. That wild goal for you and for your heart is this. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. That goal, imitating God. We are to follow God's example. We're told to imitate God in everything that we do. When we start to contemplate imitating God's example, we naturally start to think about his biggest traits. We start to think about the character of God, and and almost always one of the things that comes up first is God's love. One of the things that comes up is God's love, right? We look at Scripture, and Scripture tells us that God is love. You look at the greatest commandment, it's to love God and love one another, Clearly, love is incredibly important. And God, he gives us, he gives us this, this gift, this most vivid picture, when he gives us the greatest gift of love. The next verse is probably one of the most famous verses in Scripture. It's John three sixteen, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And in this moment, it's talking about this moment when our heavenly father gave his most precious son, Jesus, and had him go to a cross for you and for me. There is no more important event in history and there's no greater picture of love than Jesus on the cross. And yet God did that for us. God loved humanity so much that he gave the most costly thing that he could give, his son. And that moment, that gift, that amazing sacrifice will forever declare God's great love for us. If you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, somebody needs to hear this today. God loves God loves you. He loves you totally. He loves you completely. There may be people in your life that have left you. There may be people in your life that have abandoned you. People in your life that have rejected you. And God loves you with an everlasting love. He will never leave you never abandoned you, never reject you. When Jesus died on the cross, God was declaring his love for you for all of eternity. Now, of course, that's the big point of John three sixteen. but there's another piece of information that we can find in there as you look at that passage. This verse teaches us something else that's very important. We see that God's great love, it prompted him to do something. His love, it compelled him to give. It said that God loved the world that he gave. He loved the world so much that he gave 
it's very interesting that, that we're seeing that God is definitely a God of love, right? He shows his love through generosity. He shows his care and concern through generosity. To, to put it simply, God is a giver. God is a giver. He gave his son for you and me, and that, that certainly would have been enough. If he had just given Jesus, that would have been plenty, but he gave us more than that. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us his word. He gave us life, and for those who believe in Jesus, he gave eternal life. He could have just stopped at giving us Jesus, but he said, no, I love you so much more than that. I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you more. Every gift that you've ever given, every good thing that has ever entered into your life, all your gifts, all your skills, all your talents, he gives us food to eat. He gives us air to breathe. You boil it all down, right? You put it simply, God gave you your life and everything in it. He gave all of it to you, and then he turned around, and he gave you his son, Jesus, after that. God is a notorious, he is an unstoppable, he is an insatiable giver. God is generous. And if we're going to follow his example, if we're going to be imitators of God, then we too have to learn to be generous. Generosity has to be the driving force in our hearts and in our actions because the truth is we're never more like God than when we learn to give. We're never more like God. We never imitate God more than when we learn to give. Those are hallmarks of God and those should be hallmarks of those who choose to follow God. And, we, and when we lean into imitating God in these ways, we start to reflect his character. And not just that, we start to reflect his glory to those that are around us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Notice the process here, right? We lean into imitating God. And in doing so, as we lean into imitating God, we start to reflect his glory. We start to radiate his glory. As we follow his example of generosity, we start to reveal the love, the grace, the glory of God to others that are around us. We're told to lean into all of this, that act of reflecting God's glory. It starts not just to help others, but then it begins to transform you. It begins to transform me. As we lean into imitating him, we start to become more and more like him. More and more like him. That act of loving others, that act of generosity, of giving to others, it actually changes us. We're not just mimicking God. It actually truly changes us to our core when, we, when we're becoming more and more like him, when we're imitating him. As we love, as we give, as we move more and more into a lifestyle of generosity, we are transformed. We, we experience a tremendous spiritual growth, and we are changed. So a lifestyle of generosity, it, it transforms and it grows us. But a lifestyle of generosity, it also is the wisest investment. A lifestyle of generosity is the wisest investment. As we talked about it a, a few weeks ago, accumulating money and things can be a distraction from what really matters in life. 
we all know that people will do some, call it crazy stuff for money, right? You've seen it, whether it be with friends of yours, you've seen it through uh, social media, you've seen it online. People will do some insane things. They'll make some incredible sacrifices for a little bit of cash or, or some material things that have a, a lot of pull in their lives. When we're focused on something, we start to see it everywhere, right? Have you ever been car shopping and all of a sudden as you're car shopping, you're looking for this one specific car and then you see it everywhere? You're like, man, I'm really looking for a Toyota Prius because I want to be more economical, save some money on gas. And then all of a sudden, everywhere you look, it's a Prius, or you're like, man, I really need something to tow my, my boat, and so I need this new truck, and so you're looking at a Ford F-150, and literally everywhere you look is a Ford F-150. You don't see anything else on the road but Ford F-150s or Toyota Priuses, because that is where your attention is. That's where you're focusing at, right? You've been there, because we've prioritized in our minds these things that we desire, and so we see Priuses, we see F-150s everywhere we look. Because we've made it a priority. And now it's got a pull in your mind. It's got a pull of your attention. And if we're focused on our careers first, we're focused on growing our bank account or a bigger house or possessing the latest trends or the latest things, then those things going to be a priority in our hearts. Do you remember maps? You know, those paper things that folded up and you would open them up and they were supposed to give you directions on where to go and then you were never able to fold it back up so you crumpled it in a ball and shoved it in the little container on the side of your door. You know those things? I don't remember them a whole lot. They were mostly before my time, but I I have a vague recollection of them. Right now, we just pull out our phone, use the GPS. It's got some smart chip in there and just punch the address in and gives you all the directions, right? But the maps, right? You pulled this gigantic map out and it was supposed to tell you where to go and you had to map it all out. It's like on the Goofy movie. Have you ever seen the Goofy movie? Totally sidetracking right now, but the Goofy movie, he has that decision. Are we going this way? Are we going that way? And it's all on the map, right? Great movie, by the way. <laughs> Modern maps. Modern map makers, they use, uh, as you look at the compass on the maps, it's usually the arrows pointing up towards the north, right? They assume that you're going to use magnetic north as your guiding point, as your reference point. But in the Middle Ages, uh, maps often started with the east as the reference point. Middle Age map makers, they were heavily influenced by Christianity. And so they thought that the most important point in the world was the place where Jesus died, in Jerusalem, to the east. And so in the Middle-aged maps, they would use east as the reference point. And perhaps those map makers were onto something. Our lives are the same way. We're going to orient them by something to make our decisions, to navigate our lives. The only question is, what's going to be your point of reference? What's going to be that guiding point for you? Timothy, he sums it up really well in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Then he says, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. 
In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is, the life that is truly life. The good news is that when we orient to God, we are safer than when we put our hope in accumulating enough money and possessions. When we orient our lives to God, we are safer than when we don't. Why? Because unlike the pursuit of wealth, unlike the pursuit of possessions that can make us obsessive, that can damage our minds, that can damage our hearts, that can damage our minds, when we put our hope in God, it means embracing, it means enjoying all the good gifts that he has for us, the gifts that he's already entrusted to us. When we focus on God, he is our example. Our minds will begin to see God everywhere, and he will be the priority that our hearts default to. This verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18, is, is pretty incredible. It's a pretty incredible guide to orienting our lives. He says in verse 18, he says, he command them to do good. Do good. Sounds pretty simple, right? Just do good. But it means taking every day and thinking every day, every choice we make, is it the right thing to do? And that includes our money choices. And then he says, be rich in good deeds. Be rich in good deeds. And I love this one because it shows us that it isn't just the wealthy who are able to be generous, right? Each one of us can do good deeds. Being generous with our time and energy is just as important as being generous with our money. And then he says, be generous and willing to share. Be generous and willing to share. And this is one that we are constantly working on with our kids. Because I don't know if you've ever been around kids before, but you teach them to be willing to share? I mean, heck, adults struggle to be willing to share, let alone kids. And it says, be generous and willing to share. He's saying, it's not enough to give begrudgingly. It's not enough to give out of guilt, out of obligation. God wants us to have a generous heart. He wants us to have a willing heart as we are being generous. God uses a lifestyle of generosity to break the hold and pull of money and things off of our lives. It helps us to escape the gravitational pull of always wanting more, and it frees us to enjoy our lives and live our lives to the fullest. So we know that a lifestyle of generosity transforms us and grows us. We know that a lifestyle of generosity is the wisest investment. But the third benefit of a lifestyle of generosity is it blesses and refreshes me. A lifestyle of generosity, it blesses and refreshes me. There's, there's just something powerful that happens when we move into a place of generosity towards others. Once we get past the thoughts of how much it's going to cost us, right, it, we begin to see how it blesses others. And when we start to, to really grasp how it's blessing others, a joy starts to take hold of us. Because generosity on any level, it, it works that way. It promotes this contagious spirit of joy and gratitude. So what exactly does a lifestyle of generosity look like? It means that we're committed to being generous with whatever 
God has placed in our hands, with whatever he has entrusted into us. It's not about focusing on what we can't give. It's about looking for ways that we can give. Broadly, there's three areas that people can give, right? You can use your talents. You can use your talents. These are the things that that we excel at, the things that God has gifted you in, your gifts, right, your skills, your talents, to be able to uniquely bless other people. If you're good at something, God wants you to use it to be generous with others. You can use your treasure. That's the money or the possessions that you have. Remember earlier in this series, we learned that everything that we have, it doesn't really belong to us. Everything that we have, it's, it's just on loan to us. And part of the arrangement of God loaning it to us is that he wants to be able to, to send things through you and not just to you. God wants to be able to send things not just to you, he wants to be able to send things through you. And there are times in the church where we begin to believe that, well, I'm going to give so that I'll get. It's part of that prosperity gospel. I'm going to give this amount of money. I'm going to give this amount of time so I can get something. I can get a little healthier. I can get a bigger house if I just give this much. I don't see it that way. Yes, we give to get, absolutely. But we give to get to give away again. We give to get to give away again. Because we are just stewards. We're just managers of it in the first place. I see it like this. like We're like conduits. We're like conduits. And some of us, some of us are water pipes, right? Where it is just this giant man-sized pipe where water runs through. Some of us are four-inch, five-inch conduits. And there's other of us that are half-inch conduits. Because that's all that we can regardless, God wants us to be conduits of what he's given to us. Give to get to give away again. So we can be a conduit of the blessings. We can be a conduit of the finances that God has given to us. Because again, the very beginning, the foundation of all of it, it doesn't belong to you. You're just a manager. And you want to be a good manager, let God work through you. He doesn't give it just to give to you. There are times where he will. But he also gives to you so he can give through you. He places some things in your hands just for you to hand them off to others. You can also use your time. This is probably the hardest area for us to give. Because what we're really talking about is we're talking about giving your time. Is we're talking about the giving of yourself. When you give your time, we're talking about giving of yourself. And, and you might use your time serving others. It could look like serving in the church. It could look like serving in an organization. And I just, I'm going to take a minute here and just, I want to say thank you to all of our volunteers. If you volunteer at Grace Point, thank you. I'm so grateful for you. We have some incredible volunteers here, and you may not realize this, but Sunday morning doesn't happen without volunteers, right? I I don't get to stand here and do this without volunteers, and so I'm so grateful for the volunteers that we have here at Grace Point. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for what you do, the way that you use your time to bless other people. But I did an exercise this week with our staff. 
trying to figure some things out. We've got a couple holes we're trying to fill in a couple ministries. And I said, let's just sit down and I want you to tell me every spot that you need filled in your ministry. And I don't want like the utopia, like if we just had 25 people in this, we would be fantastic. Like, I don't want that. Give me the realistic, what is it going to be week to week that you need in your ministry? And I want you to write it down specifically. I need this many nursery workers. I need this many worship people. I need this many tech people. Write it down for me. And what I found as the staff came back this week to me is I found that two of our most important ministries, kids and youth, because can I tell you, if we don't have kids and youth ministry, this church is gone in 30 years. Not the church. God's church will never die but our church will. The kids and youth are the next generation. And what I found in this, as I asked our staff to do this, is that just to get to a solid functional base, we're not taxing volunteers, we're not taxing our staff, is we need 29 people in just kids and youth to help out. Now, I'm not saying that to guilt you. I'm just saying that to let you know that you may see things working on Sunday and everything looks fantastic, but that's because we have some incredible volunteers that give way above and beyond that make that stuff happen. And so maybe you're sitting here this morning and God's just kind of stirring in your heart and he's been stirring in your heart. Again, I'm not cheerful. We're not talking out of obligation, right? But if God's stirring in your heart to get involved here, to take that next step in your faith journey and begin to serve, man, do it. What are you waiting for? And I don't say it because we need you, because we do, yes. But I say it because you will be blessed. You will be blessed when you give of your time, when you give of your treasure, when you give of your talents, you will be blessed. If you have a desire to get involved in some way, please let us know. You can write it on a connection card this morning. If you're specifically interested in kids or youth ministry, please talk to Pastor Stu or Amy. Uh, like I said, those are two of the biggest areas right now we're looking for help, just to get to a standard. But don't do it if you just want to be a savior. Don't do it if you just think I'm guilting you. I, I, I love you, and I would love to see you plugged in, but I don't want you doing it for me. I don't want you doing it because Amy needs you. I don't want you doing it because Stu needs you. All right? We got to do it for the right reasons. God will bless when you do it generously, when you do it with a full heart. I'll get off my high horse for a second. It all boils down to giving of yourself. And honestly, that's the hardest thing for us to give. For some of us, it's much easier to throw a couple bucks at something than it is to give of our time because our time is the most valuable resource that we do have. Everybody's got the exact same amount of it every single day. Nobody's more wealthy with time than anybody else. We get to choose how we use that. But what happens is, when we open our hearts and our minds and we begin to give to others of ourselves, real generosity begins to flow out. Your generosity can have a tremendous impact. Just look at this next verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It says, so two good things happen as a result of your gifts. Those in need are helped and they overflow with thanks to God. Those you help will be glad not only because of your generous gifts to themselves and to others, but they will praise God for this proof that your deeds are as good as your doctrine. When we give, when we're generous, when we help people with their immediate needs, we help connect them to God. 
when we're generous, we help connect people to God. We help connect them to their eternal needs. The bottom line is this, man, is that living a life of real generosity is what makes your faith and your love real for others. Living a life of generosity is what makes your faith and your love real to others. You can say you love something all you want, but if there is no action associated with it, it's a whole lot of lip service. There is such power in bringing the example of God's love and his generosity to life and showing that, as this verse says, your deeds are as good as your doctrine. And not only does living a life of generosity bless me and bless God and help others by meeting their needs in a, a very real way, but, but it also it does something powerful for you. Proverbs 11.25 says, The generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Have you ever made a baby belly laugh, just full-on cackle belly laugh, or you've seen one of those videos before? Right? There's just something that happens when a baby begins to laugh. So I, I want to share this with you. So let's check this video out real quick. Adam. Boing. <laughs> That's contagious, isn't it? Did you do anything? It's contagious. It's almost impossible not to join in with something like that. The adult in that moment, it gives the baby joy, but then something happens. As the adult is giving this joy to this baby, the adult receives joy back. The adult is refreshed back. Does the adult find whatever ridiculous thing that they're doing to cause the baby to laugh? Uh, do they find it funny by itself? Probably not. But what happens is they're doing something that has no value to themselves. And yet because they're acting out of generosity and giving value back to the baby, the joy the baby experiences, it bounces back to the adults. And it creates this joy in the one who gives it. The bottom line, there is joy found in giving. There is joy found in giving. God hardwired us to want to help others. Your soul, it longs to give. And when you give, it fulfills a deep need. As you lean into generosity, your thirsty soul starts to be renewed. It starts to be refreshed. And now you may be here today, and, and there's some of you that are experiencing a weariness. Uh, you're experiencing a weariness of the soul. And maybe it's manifesting in boredom, uh, manifesting in hopelessness. If that's you, maybe the reason is that you've been chasing things that are never going to satisfy you. Or perhaps you've been doing your best to walk with God, and you still feel empty. You still feel weary. My advice to you today 
is put your hope in God. Make sure that he is your true north, that he is your guiding point, and let generosity be your map. Think about what you have to give and where you can start giving today. As you lean into a, generos- a, a lifestyle of generosity that God has called us to, you're going to find that there is joy and there is a refreshed soul there. Winston Churchill, he famously said, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. There is a gift that comes when we give. A gift that comes when we give. Not just happiness, because happiness is fleeting. There is a deep joy that develops inside of us as we choose to give what we've been given. Would you pray with me?